Right. Hey, Rockbridge, my name is Matt. If I hadn't had a chance to say hello to you, want to say hello to you in all six of our physical locations, then we have a ministry we call Online Connections, and uh, Mark Honeycutt pastors that experience. So however you're tuned in with us, we are so glad that you're here. We're navigating forward through the book of 1 Corinthians in a series called Ripple Effect. So if you have a Bible, hope you do. Love for you to turn it on, open it up, follow along. Of course, I'll put the uh, verses on the screen. For, for all of us, we have been praying and fasting together for six consecutive Wednesdays, and the last one is coming up on first Wednesday in September, so that's this coming Wednesday. I just want to ask you one more time, make a concerted effort to join us at the nearest physical campus, or you can also join us online. I've been like the old Methodist circuit rider. I've been to five of our six campuses. I'll get to the sixth one on, uh, on Wednesday night, but let me just say this, okay? If you are hungry for God, and I hope that you are, you need to be at 633. Because I've been in five of six, and God has personally ministered to me. I've experienced his presence in ways I need to experience. Uh, last, uh, this, this past week, I walked in dry, you know, and I walked out full. And uh, we, ha we have to have those moments of corporate worship and seeking God together. So I just want to encourage one more 633, first Wednesday here in September. So we continue to navigate through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're calling it Ripple Effect because God has dropped something into history and he drops it into our hearts by faith, which is the death and the resurrection or the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 today. And here, here, here's where this might be different for some of us, but because we started 20 years ago and said the Bible is our only tradition, it's our authority, it's sufficient for all things related to faith and practice and the full and abundant life that Jesus Christ offers to us, we wanted to submit ourselves completely to an entire book of the Bible. So if we finish with verse 7 the next week, whether we want it or not, we're going to pick up in verse 8, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to just give us all the truth and all the grace from that passage because he, he put it in the Scriptures. He put it in the mind of Paul to write these words for us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and today we're going to talk about something that all of us experience, that all of us have issues with. In fact, this subject today, is, is, is so important to your spiritual growth and my spiritual growth, yet you and I have a love-hate relationship with it. And, 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 it, and it's increasingly becoming in, in our culture where, where what we're going to talk about today, we don't want to see it as necessary or important to our spiritual experience or our spiritual journey or our walk with Jesus. And what I'm talking about if we can correct that on the, on the backdrop, that'd be fine. That'd be great. What I'm talking about is authority and leadership. You know, we, we have love-hate with that, right? When your football team is losing, you want a new what? Coach, right? You know the importance of it. Your quality of your work experience, like those of you that are working, is directly correlated to who's in direct leadership over you. So we all know the importance of it. And we all experience, for better or for worse, authority and leadership, and yet we don't necessarily understand the connection to this to our spiritual growth. And increasingly in, in our country, we are very skeptical of authority. We're very skeptical of leadership, and in some cases, rightly so. And I, I just want to speak to a, to a subgroup that I know is listening or watching or present with us this weekend. There are those of you who have been under abusive leadership. 
whether it was in a relationship or sometimes in a church. And, and I just want to speak to you in that regard, and, and I hope that God will do something in you in particular to show you what this looks like when it is fully submitted to God and His methods and His ways of exercising authority and leadership. But back to this, you know, we have a hard time with this. I mean, some of it's because we're Americans. I mean, our country started because we had a problem with the king, right? And this whole thing about taxation but no representation. So we got this love-hate thing with authority where we're skeptical of it. And then kind of going through Vietnam and the Watergate and then the scandals and then the televangelist scandals, everybody has some skepticism. Like if, if somebody said, hey, we're going to get a new boss, everybody gets a little nervous, right? Everybody gets a little nervous, but we've got to understand that God has designed us to be under some type of authority and some type of leadership. And so when I, if I were to say to you, what does spiritual look, leadership look like? Do you have an answer for that? It's part of your journey with God. It's certainly part of my journey with God. It's certainly in Scripture, but Paul is going to help us understand biblical authority and biblical leadership. And just because we've had a bad experience or just because in our culture we've learned to be skeptical about that, we have to be discipled not by the winds and the currents of culture, but by the actual Word of God. So when we get into 1 Corinthians, and we'll use this as a, as a kind of a review, Paul comes out, and he comes out, and he talks to this church, and, and you sort of start to see his heart as one who has authority over this church. He says, hey, we preach one message, Christ crucified, to those who are called. He wants them to know you're called by God, and we spent a lot of time on that back in week one. Christ is God's power and God's wisdom, so consider your calling. He wants, listen, he wants something for the people he's leading. And he wants something of God for those people. Then we go to chapter 2 and he says, I want your faith not to be based on man's wisdom but on God's power. And we've been spending a lot of time on that, that we're not about a personality, whether it's a personality in politics or a personality in entertainment or a personality in the pulpit. We are about Jesus Christ, and that comes straight from Paul's heart, Paul's teaching, and the goal of the universe, which is that we give glory to God. And then in chapter 3, we see Paul getting a little frustrated. He says, I am not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babes in Christ. In other words, I need to help you get farther along in your spiritual journey than you currently are. And then he gives them this beautiful vision of what it means to be the people of God. He says, don't you know you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you? And so this is kind of Paul, not only is he sharing theology and biblical truth, he's sharing his heart for the church at Corinth. So let me come up with a working definition of spiritual leadership. It's getting people where God wants them to be and helping them to remain there. It's getting people where God wants them to be and helping them remain there. I'm going to give you a longer definition, but it always has to do with movement. It always has to do with movement. Using God's methods and God's power to help move God's people somewhere they are not and or to help them remain in Christ when culture, their flesh, and the enemy want to move them somewhere else. Spiritual leadership. So those two definitions almost guarantee that there will be times in, when you do not, where the leadership maybe you want is not the leadership you need. 
Because here's what happens. I just want to, I'm speaking very pastorally this weekend, so, so forgive me, uh, but, but here's kind of what happens. After the service is over, you and I, we walk out the door, we turn our computer off, and it's almost like we go back into the ocean. And I don't know if you've ever been to the ocean and gone out swimming, and, and you, know, you know where your hotel is or where you're staying, and you, get, and you kind of forget what's going on, and you turn around, and your hotel's not there anymore, right? Because the current moved you. The combination of the wind and the current moved you, and you drift, Right? And the same thing happens to all of us spiritually during the week, during seasons of our lives. We drift. You know, God wants us to be like a dolphin, but sometimes we're like a jellyfish, right? A dolphin can swim against the current, and a dolphin can stand firm, and he's building that into us. A jellyfish is susceptible to the current. And so spiritual leadership under God's way and God's plan is designed to help us, one, find our hotel again, and stay locked on what home is, and home is life in Christ, and home is drawing sufficiency from Christ, and experiencing his best, and, and walking with Christ, and, and going deeper into Christ. And so what Paul is going to deal with in chapter 4 is both the responsibility of spiritual leadership and the response to leadership. So there's a lot of Christians that say they're Christians that will say things like, well, I don't believe in organized religion." That's very unbiblical. That's not of God, because God is a God of order and organization. You see that all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a lot of people who say, oh, my spiritual life is private. That is a satanic deception. That is an absolute satanic deception. The privatization of faith in America directly correlates with the degradation of faith in America. We are designed to be in community. We are designed to be together from the families that God places us in to the family of God that he places us in when we are called by God. So I just think you need to be open to unlearning this. I've talked with people the last 20 years. Some people are like, I don't need to be a member of a church. You cannot show that to me biblically. So, so we can't go there biblically. There are people like, I don't even need to be in church. I can have church at the golf course. I can have church at the lake. That may be your definition. It is not your God's definition. So we have to un be unlearning that culture says, go, at your, go it on your own. Culture says your faith is between you and God and nobody else. You don't need leadership. You don't need... And, and then, there, then, then, then what makes it even more challenging in the age of information, the age of technology, you can find a spiritual leader that will tell you what you want to hear. But it may not be what you need to hear. And the whole premise of 1 Corinthians is Paul loves, loves this messed up church that he can't let them drift at sea without calling them back to home plate, the true north. So let's join Paul, see his heart, and learn a little bit about this thing God's provided for us called spiritual leadership. He starts chapter 4 and he says, a person should think of us, and he's talking about the leadership at the Corinthian church, himself as the planter, founder, the apostle, the apostle and then Apollos, a teacher, and, and the elders that were in place. A person should think of us in this way. So right out of the gate, here's what we get. We are supposed to be under biblical leadership. It's, a, it's designed by God. An unchurched Christian is an oxymoron in the New Testament. 
A Christian without a church family is an anomaly. It's an aberration. It's not what God wills. It's not what God wants. But here's where we have to push ourselves a little bit further, okay? So I may step on a toe with this next statement, but I'm doing it out of the authority of God's word, okay? Not just out of the opinions of Matt Evans. There is a difference between being in church and being under spiritual leadership. There's a difference between being in the word of God and under spiritual leadership. So, so I just want us to understand that. There's a difference between, hey, I watched a church service and I am under spiritual leadership. There is a difference between, oh, I heard a great sermon from some guy in Timbuktu and being under spiritual leadership. There is a difference between I had my quiet time today, I prayed today, man, God should be happy with me today, and being under spiritual leadership. There's a vast difference. And so what Paul's going to begin to unpack is what spiritual leadership should look like. And, and the, first, the second thing we need to notice coming out of this, just that first half verse of 4.1 is, biblically, leadership is plural, not singular. It's an us. Uh, in our context, we, we have a, a, a multiplicity of leaders. We have elders. We have staff. We have volunteers who lead real ministries and, and Bible studies. And so the best leader, I say it this way, the best leader is not a mat. The best leader is a team. Yes, I have a seat on the bus, and that seat on the bus is, is kind of the, the, the lead pastor. But the best leader, and biblically leadership, is always a we, it's an us. It's never about one individual. It's never about authoritarianism. It's never about do what this person says. It is a we, it, it's a mutuality, it's plurality, and it's accountability. At Rockbridge, that flows down, of course, from Jesus as our chief shepherd and into the, the, the plurality of about 30 plus, three dozen plus elders, and our staff, and then, and then people like you that are members that get involved, that serve, that pray, that lead things, that, that champion things. And so biblically, leadership is plural, not singular. And we have to understand that. And then Paul goes on and he starts to talk about this leadership. And here's what he says. He goes, a person should think of us in this way. As servants of Christ and managers, in other words, would be stewards of the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God of what have been revealed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. For short, we call it the gospel, the good news. Jesus in our place, Christ crucified. So Paul says, look, we serve Jesus and we manage. We're not in charge. God is. That's what he's saying. It's not about us. It's not Paul's agenda. It's not Matt's agenda. It's not five guys that got in a black room with some smoking gun and dreamed up of something. The church is not man's idea. It's God's idea, right? So he says we're servants of Christ and managers, stewards of the mysteries of God. So in this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful, 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 to stewarding and serving the gospel, to faithful to stewarding and serving the mysteries of God. So from what Paul's going to say in the next, uh, I don't know, umpteen verses, I just want to come up with about five things for you, five things that leaders have to do, that leaders have to ensure that moves the church forward, that moves people back when the currents of the world causes us all to drift, that five things that have to be present. The first one, and Paul's very obvious about this, we have to magnify the message of Jesus Christ. We have to blow up the message of Jesus Christ. It is the catalyst of the movement. It's the foundation of everything. 
everything. It's the rock with which we stand. Everything God that wants to do in your life and through your life and with your life flows down from the blood of Jesus on the cross of Christ and through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. We must magnify Jesus Christ. I've shown this image every week because that is the cornerstone of our faith. That is what God has called those in spiritual leadership to magnify and amplify. I can never move this church beyond this right here. I can never help you understand God's love for you, God's plan for you, God's power for you without bringing you back to this. I was at lunch just this week with a brother in Christ, and we share a similar temptation and have some similarities in our story. And you know what we talked about? Is, is this. Now, we all want to go Dr. Phil and give me the three ways you, you do this and the five ways to a better marriage, but we have to come back to the hill at Calvary every single time. And here's what I want you to hear from me. I became a Christ follower because of the influence of my parents and a little country church uh, here in northwest Georgia when I was eight years old. And it's very easy in the Bible Belt it's very easy because we, we can naturally talk about Christmas and Easter, Christmas and Easter, Christmas and Easter. It's very easy for this to just sort of be, oh, yeah, I understand that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what that is. I got that check. Next thing. It's like, you know, it's kind of like July 4th. Oh, yeah, I know what that's about. I, I just want to say now from 8 to age 47, God has taken me deeper into the wounds of his son. And there's still depth for me to go. I will never, ever, 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 ever graduate from my need to marvel at this and to magnify this and be in awe of this man who did this. I will spend eternity marveling, magnifying, going deeper in to the truths and the love and the joy and the hope and the power and the wisdom and the majesty and the glory of God that flows from this right here. So when God calls us to, to be a part of a church, and, I, and some of you are considering Rockbridge, and thank you for that. Some of you, you know, maybe not even part of Rockbridge. I just want to say this. If you join Rockbridge, stay at Rockbridge, or go to another church, you must be a part of a church that makes much of the God-man hanging on that bloody cross. It's foundational. It's foundational. Paul goes on, and, and to set up where he's going, the second thing that needs to be in place is the yes and no's of leaders have to be in right, the right place. In order to move people to the right place, leaders have to say yes and, put, and no in the right place. We, we, we can, so what we say yes to, what we say no to is so important. So a little backdrop on Corinthians. Uh, they weren't real receptive to Paul's leadership. There was a faction of them that were. There was a faction of them that didn't like Paul. There was a faction of them that wanted Paul to be more worldly and cool and hip and, 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 and up with the times and, and the culture of Corinth. And so he's getting pushback, and he'll have to even say some things that I don't think he wanted to say, but he'll have to assert what's known biblically as his apostolic authority. So he's got critics, okay? He's got critics. Now, remember, if people are drifting out at sea and they want to drift or they don't really care about getting back to their hotel or their home, right, when leaders call them back, there will be pushback. 
That's part of it, okay? So we get that and we understand that. So that's why leaders have to have a little bit of a thick skin and leaders have to understand what they need to say yes and what they say need to say no to. My story and my struggle is conveyed in what Paul is about to talk about. I'll share with you what's the toughest thing of being a leader for me, okay? Whether I was leading things in the Navy and certainly now being a part of leadership, the we of leadership at Robert's Community Church. So let's go to Paul. He goes, it's of little importance to me that I... I should be judged by you or by any human court. He goes, I am not at the mercy of your opinions of me. Now that's scary, right? Because in America, we want to choose leaders, at least in politics, who will do only what we want them to do, right? And we get mad when they don't. Right? I, I would argue we need more leaders who lead with courage and not based on popular opinion, but that's another conversation at a coffee shop sometime, right? But it should be of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, he goes, I don't even judge myself, for I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. So what he's saying is he goes, look, it could be, sometimes leaders can look themselves in the mirror and think, man, I'm good, I'm okay, and I'm doing right. And, and, and what he's saying is, look, I'm not that arrogant either. He, and he says, look, my conscience, so we all have a conscience. It's like the thermostat. We set it. Hopefully we set it by God's word, by the cross. He says, look, I'm not aware that I'm leading you in the wrong direction, but I'm not justified by this. So there's no haughtiness. There's humility. There's no self-righteousness in Paul. But he's also not at the sway or the whims of being a people pleaser as well. And he says this, he goes, because it's the Lord who judges me. So then he says to the Corinthian church, don't judge anything prematurely. Some of them are throwing Paul out because Paul is not the hip speaker. He's not the eloquent one. He's not, you know, trying to preserve their social status. He's trying to strengthen their spiritual status. And he's having to call them back. They've drifted. Right? So he says, look, y'all better not judge prematurely before the Lord comes because he will bring both to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts, and then praise will come to each one from God. In other words, Paul's like, really, I'm not leading to get out of boys from you. I'm leading for the day when God will praise me for what he's done through me. So let me talk about yeses and noes. We have to say, leaders have to say no to people-pleasing and no to self-esteem. No to people-pleasing and no to self-esteem. In other words, we can't get our identity from what we do. We get our identity from what Christ has done. And so in leadership, we have to be founded upon the cross of Christ and live to please Christ. So yes to gospel identity, I am who God says I am, and yes to pleasing God. I will tell you this. I've told you my story. Part of my story over the years, right, is I had this struggle with who am I, okay? Like most men, I, I fell for the satanic deception that I am what I do, all right? I, I go into a profession where I get graded every six months for how well I do what I do as an officer in the Navy, right? And so my identity began to be, man, I am what my captain or I am my, what my boss says I am. And I lived for that evaluation, and then I get out of the Navy, and God calls me to start Rockbridge. And as a pastor, as a preacher, as a teacher, I stand on a platform every week, and people tell me, you know, hey, it was good, or it wasn't so good, you know? Or, and so you start living for what people start saying. And what I'm like, and then I start thinking, man, 
if I'm forming a sermon and thinking, man, what are people going to think about this before I think what has God said about this, that's a dangerous place for me to be as a leader, and that impacts how I can help and how I can serve and how I can love you. So my wife gets leukemia. And we go up to New York City because she has a very, very, very rare blood disorder. About three hospitals in the United States have any experience treating this in patients with some level of success. So we went there. We had a relationship. Some of you know this story. And, uh, and she was not doing good. And we got to the spot where we did not know if we were going to make it. And so consequently, I was not doing good. But I didn't know I was not doing good. But because the best leader is not a mat, the best leader is a we, I had great elders, and I'll never forget, I'm in the street of New York, and the, direct, and the chairman of our elders called me, and he said, Matt, um, you can't preach anymore for a while. You can't do anything with Rockbridge anymore for a while. You need to be a husband, or you need to fly home and be with your boys, and that's it. And it made me mad, because I'm like, well, I don't know who I am if I'm not doing ministry. You see how dangerous that is? But I couldn't see it. That's why the best leader is an us, not a mat. And you need people who will speak the truth to you in love. So basically, I, I was kind of given a, a leave of absence for about six weeks till we knew how Beth was going to turn out. And I remember walking down the uh, First Avenue or so of Upper East Side Manhattan. You know, I'm surrounded literally by millions of people, our nation's largest city. And I was like, God, I do not know who I am. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, you are my son, and that's got to be enough for you. And I don't always live on that. I don't always live from that spot. But when I am the best husband God wants me to be, the best dad, the best pastor, that's the place I live from. I am not going to people please. I'm not going to do things to bolster my self-esteem. I live from the yes God said to me through the bloody man on the cross that I showed you a few moments ago, and I want to please him. That's it. And so it is refreshing to me that we have leaders in our church, and we ask each other these questions because we know we can't steward the mysteries of God if we're not personally living the experience of the mysteries of God as, as manifest in the life of Jesus Christ. Then Paul gets even more direct, and he says directly to the church, he says, Brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos. Apollos succeeded Paul as the teaching pastor at Corinth. And I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. So I'm living out what I'm telling you you should consider and look for in leadership so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written. And that's a, that's a vernacular to say, don't go beyond the revelation of God in the Word of God. And he says, the purpose of this is that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another. And he says, for who makes you superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? The Corinthian church was full of pride and full of factions. And they had gotten into living by the culture. They were in the current you know, remember our analogy of drifting at the beach? They were in the current of the world. And so I think as leaders in the church, in the church, you have to ask this question, what type of Christianity do we have and what type of Christianity are we moving toward? And the problem with the church in America is not the agenda of secular progressive politicians. 
Our problem is not coming out of the White House. Our problem is not coming out of blue states or red states or whatever states. Our problem is that our Christianity, instead of being convictional, has either become cultural or simply congregational. Let me explain. Cultural Christianity is Christianity that says, hey, I'm a Christian, and you're just a Christian basically because you were born in the Bible Belt or you were born in the United States of America or your parents might have taken you to church every now and then. And so the Corinthian Christians were just were like sort of just like they looked more like Corinth than they did than they looked like Christ. Congregational is maybe where we gather with a group of people based on our preferences. Increasingly, the church in America will become more tribalized and secularized, but it will be tribalized not only around race, but about, around socioeconomics, and we will only go to church with people who voted like us. That's not biblical. Convictional Christianity is we will not go beyond the Word of God which always, always, all 66 books points us to the cross of Jesus Christ. So our leadership has to be convictional, not catering to preference, not falling victim to the cultural trends of the day. What's happened in our society, and and this is where you can easily fall prey to, let me go find a preacher who will tell me what I want to hear, is what's happened in our day is we've put humility in the wrong place. Maybe 100 years ago, maybe 50 years ago, who knows, we were humble about ourselves, but we had convictions about absolute truth. What's happening now and why you see denominations who were founded by men of God, men of the Word of God, and why those denominations are splintering is what we've done is we've put humility on the truth. Well, it's your truth, but it's not my truth, but it's okay. And we've put hubris and pride on ourselves. You do you, baby. And and we've done it all in the name of tolerance, right? And so we have churches that are just kind of codifying tolerance, okay? Now, tolerance sounds cool and cultural, right? That's Corinth. Here's the issue with tolerance. When we accept people for who they want to be, we neglect the people that God created them to be and died for them to become. God created you to be someone and died for you to become someone. When we just stop there, like, oh, you be you. That's not, to- that's not tolerance. That's not even loving, right? And so we have to, don't go beyond what's written is Paul's plea to the church to come back to what is of utmost importance, which he will tell us in chapter 15, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He continues navigating forward, and he says, look, he he gets real sarcastic because the Corinthian church, man, they think they're blessed because they're in a rich city. They're living the good life. They're keeping up with the Joneses. They've got a lot of followers on Facebook, whatever Facebook was in the first century, but they've got all that stuff, right? He says, you're already full. You're already rich. You've begun to reign as kings without us. The us is the leadership, and I wish you did reign so that we could also reign with you. What he's saying is you think the earthly blessings you have is God vindicating the way you're living. So you think because you have wealth and you have status that that equates to the favor of God. You think because everything is good for you Monday through Friday and in the bank account that you check once a month, you think that means God's good with you. 
But then Paul says, but I think God, for I think God has displayed us, the apostles, the leaders in last place, like men condemned to die. So he says, we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. We're fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, you are strong, you are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Up to the present hour, we're hungry and thirsty, we're poorly clothed, roughly treated and homeless. We labor working with our own hands. What's he saying is, look, you think God's favoring you because of the earthly blessings and the earthly things that you're enjoying, but he says, look at us. We are being beaten, and we're, being, we're poor, and we're homeless, and we're considered garbage and trash. So how do you say your life means you're blessed, and my life, what does my life mean? It's like people in America have equated God's favor to money and health. But if you go to other cultures around the world who live on less than a dollar a day but have a vibrant faith built on Christ crucified for them, there's a discrepancy there, right? I mean, there's people who think and have bad rapture theology. They think, man, God won't make the church suffer. The church is already suffering, just not in our country yet. I mean, three years ago, ISIS people took Christians in Egypt put them on a beach and beheaded them. In America, we'd be like, what is God doing? And what Paul is saying and what spiritual leadership has to be about is, listen, God's approval of us and vindication from us come from the cross, not from earthly success. I know God's pleased with me because of that bloody man I showed you because that should have been me there. And so we have to ask ourselves this question, and leadership has to call us back to this. Is our Christianity more about reinforcing our lifestyle or moving us to follow the way of the cross more completely and more wholeheartedly? So Paul is saying, hey, you're interested in lifestyle. We've got to move in the way of the cross. And and again, that's the tension we feel when spiritual leadership is in place. He continues. Paul says, that, but listen to how we live. When, people, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. And what's he saying? Leadership. We must always be moving toward greater Christ-likeness. How did Christ respond when he was treated improperly, graciously, and with endurance. So leadership has to move the church toward greater Christ-likeness. It's got to be our number one priority because it's God's number one priority. God's number one priority. So a couple of questions. Would we rather be right or Christ-like? A lot of people convince they're right politically, but they're not Christ-like in how they express that. A lot of marriages, yeah, brother, you're right. She was wrong, but you're not being Christ-like to her, right? Would we rather be angry at? And there's a lot of people we can be angry at. Cable news will just feed you full of people, won't they? Would we rather be angry at or would we rather be a blessing to? Because God has blessed us in Christ to be a blessing to the world. Would we rather give people what they deserve I just want to give them peace of my mind. Or would we rather give them grace? What has Christ given us? 
but grace. So the church has to call ourselves back to this every time. Every time. Because we get out in the world and we drift, don't we? Toward anger. We drift toward being offended. We drift toward, I'm right. We have to be Christ-like. And then Paul writes very personally, pastorally. He says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you have many countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So he's going back to when he planted the church and just speaking with affection. He says, so I urge you to imitate me. This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. Paul couldn't, go at, Paul couldn't return to Corinth, so he sends his protege, Timothy. And he says, he will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. And this is the bottom line for Paul and why leadership is so important. The leadership of the church shows up in the life of the church. The leadership of the church shows up in the lives of the believers. So, so you go back to all five of those things that I just mentioned. And that's really what God wants for you. It's not just how God wants leaders to lead and how God wants leaders to act and behave, but it's what God wants for you. And so there's mutuality involved. God wants you to magnify Christ. God wants you to put the yes and no in the right place. God wants you to move along in the way of the cross. God wants you to become Christ-like. And and so leaders are just trying to show and point and model and preach and teach and lead and love and pray This life in Christ shows that life in Christ shows up in the life of the church. He closes and he says, listen, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. God's in charge. And I will find out not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? I'm coming to you because I love you too much to let you drift away in the currents of culture, in the currents of the world. I am here to call you back to your calling. I'm here to call you back to the bloody man on the cross where all of God's blessings flow from, are won by, and given to us through faith. So that's beautiful, right? But a couple of things. Listen, church and ministry are messy because they're us, (laughs) right? Church and ministry are messy because they're us. But what you see in Paul is this. We can always move forward in hope and optimism because the gospel is our true north. And so I just want to say, you know, I've been a part of this church for 20 years, right? I love the local church. It's messy. I've hurt the church. The church has hurt me. But it's God's plan A. And I hope it's part of your plan to draw closer to God. And I want to close, and I just want to share about four things that I would want for you. For my seat on this bus, my part in this church family, the role that I have. I just want to share four things I have with you, then we'll pray. I want for you, then I'll pray. I remember one time I was down at a, a, a lake place that my family has, and I was by myself praying, and I experienced an incredible amount of intimacy with God, closeness with God. I experienced, you know, I've experienced it off and on. But I want for you, I want us all to experience the joy of being intimate with God. 
Now, he's not the man upstairs. He's not your grandfather or your grandmother's God. He wants to be your God. And what I'm learning, because our God is so big and so majestic and so amazing, I'll never arrive. I can always grow closer to him. And there's great joy and peace in that. Secondly, I I pray God gives each of us and gives you what I'll call a holy burden. Something you're so passionate about for the kingdom. I hope it's lost people. Because we have an opportunity next weekend to invite a lot of people to come to church. Just because it's our 20 year anniversary and our vision. But I pray you have a holy burden. I pray you're more burdened by a holy burden than you are by gas prices or inflation. Or whether your team wins or loses on Saturday or Sunday. I pray you're more burdened by the things that burden the heart of God. Because when you find that holy, holy, holy burden, you'll discover that a lot of the things you complain about, you don't need to complain about. And the best energy you have, you give to letting God work out that holy burden through your spiritual gifts and through your time and through the money God lets you steward for him. Third, I pray that you're all spiritually known, spiritually known, spiritually known. At Rockbridge, that's going to look like this. A lot of you need to go through the all-in process that we talked about last week. That's our new membership process really designed so that you walk out of there spiritually known. I don't mean, man, I know you because you work at such and such a place and you live in this neighborhood and you like Georgia and I like Georgia, so go dogs, right? I had to throw that in. But I mean that I know where you are in Christ. You might know where I am or I know your spiritual gifts or I know how I can pray for you, spiritually known. That puts small groups on the table. That puts D groups on the table. That puts all in on the table, that we're spiritually known. It's, it's, please hear me. Please hear me. If you, if you haven't been in church in a long time and this is like your first time, man, just come back next week. That's all I'm saying to you. But I just want to say to a lot of you, one hour a week is not enough. Spiritually known. Okay? And then the last thing is you're going to go through adversity and suffering. Some of you are. None of us are immune to it. All right? I, I know there's some preachers who will tell you otherwise, but they're lying to you. But I want you to know this, okay? I'm not always at this place, but I know it's my true north. I know when I get out and I drift away from this that God will always call me back to this. I want you to know this. This is what I want for you. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for 20 great years. Great is your faithfulness, God. But God, I I just continue to believe there's so much more of your power, of your love, of your gospel, of your woundedness, God, of your resurrection life that you want for all of us. Not just me, not just elders, but all of us, God. And I pray, God, that you would just create a hunger in this church for more of you than we presently have. More, for, more of you in our individual lives, but more of you in our corporate lives. More of you in our commitment to the mission of King Jesus. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your word. I pray that this word we've talked about 
fairly raw and authentically to this weekend. I pray this word works in our heart. I pray this word makes us a healthier church. I pray this word creates a hunger in us to want more of you, Jesus. We love you because you have first loved us. In your name we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.